message to the Galatian churches. He says, I want you to know it's not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation of Jesus. So it's not something he made up. Now, one of the criticisms that Paul gets is he's being criticized by people. Here's the new gospel that they brought in. This is from last week. Paul taught, you believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. Now there's a group of people coming in saying, Paul, that's not enough. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross and paid the penalty for your sins. And you've got to be circumcised to be saved. Which complicates the gospel. I'm glad that's not the gospel. And uh, so they're, they're adding something. They're, they're bringing in something from the Old Testament that they think is essential for eternal salvation. And what they're saying about Paul is, Paul, your message is not from God. You've made an easy message. And that's not what God has in mind. That, they're accusing Paul of having this easy message. All you have to do is believe in Jesus to be saved. Okay? And, and they're saying, Paul, that's, man-made. that's, that's uh, something you've made up. It's also not something received or taught by others. Paul had a very unique case. The way he received the gospel, he did not get it from others. I received the gospel when some good friends shared the gospel. Matter of fact, I probably had hundreds of friends share the gospel with me, and I just let it go. But people cared enough to share the gospel with me. In Paul's case, he had a very unique. It didn't come from other apostles or other Christians. It's very unique. In Paul's case, it came by revelation of Jesus Christ. Paul had a personal experience and met Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord. And we're going to see that in just a minute. He talks about his former life in verses uh, 13 and 14. He was a persecutor of the church, verse 13. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. Judaism would be, pers- would be about the Jewish religion, the religion of the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul was Jewish in his ethnicity, but he was Jewish in his religion. And he's not just an average guy. He said, you've heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. How intensely, and he was, he was an intense man. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. So, you know, Paul isn't just the average guy. He's an exemplary Jewish man by religious faith. So, um, a Jewish person would believe In the Bible, they would believe what we would call the Old Testament. The Apostle Paul believed in the Old Testament word for word. He was in. He was committed. uh, He was a zealot for God, as he understood. Uh, One of the things I want to remind us of here is that before the the Apostle Paul became a follower of Jesus... He had a different name, and his name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And sometimes when we get to talking about Saul and Paul, it gets confusing. And so I just want to say that I might get those two words mixed up, uh, but Saul is his name before he trusted Jesus. Saul of Tarsus was on a fast track, verse 14. Uh, He was fast tracking in the wrong direction. 
verse 14. He says, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own uh, age, uh, of my own age among my people and was extremely, you know, he was intense. Now he's extreme, extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. Um, He was a rising star. People knew about Paul. And when you, when you think about um, the Old Testament and, and you think about what Paul is committed to here, the Apostle Paul understood that Christians were heretics. And uh, the Apostle Paul understood from the Old Testament that these people should be put to death. Because that's what the uh, Scripture said in Israel. And the Apostle Paul was, he took this so seriously. And he was a man of action. He didn't want to sit back. He wasn't an ivory tower theologian. He was hands on. And he wanted to touch things for God. And he got mixed up in the lives of people very seriously. Now, this kind of makes sense. For example, Deuteronomy 6 4 says, Hear, O Israel. And it goes on to say, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. That's, we call it monotheism. The Jewish people believe in one God. And that's a good thing because in the ancient world, there were, it was polytheistic and it was many gods, which led in many different directions. And there was something really pure about the Jewish religion and the ethics of the Jewish religion that were very attractive. Now, Paul is totally in on this. And he assumes that the Christians are saying, Jesus is another God, and that's wrong, according to Paul. What Paul didn't understand was this concept of the Trinity or the concept of plurality that's even in the Old Testament. And so Paul, is, Paul hated Jesus, Paul hated Christians, and he wants to put them to death. He was advancing in Judaism beyond his years. And so we're going to go back to Acts 26, verses 9 through 11, and he's going to tell a story here. This is Paul looking back in later life, but he's talking about his early life. He says, I, I, was, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Next slide. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. You know, Paul just didn't sit back on this. He was an activist. He took this seriously. He was hardcore. Go to another passage in Acts 8, 1 through 3. Now, this is an actual description of Paul's life. This this is when he's not a Christian. This is when he was Saul of Tarsus. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Remember, the church starts in Jerusalem. And persecution, by the way, is going to force it to spread out. But here's part of that persecution. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church, believers in Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. At the end of chapter 7, Stephen is the first martyr of the church. He's stoned to death because of his uh, 
love for Jesus and his preaching for Jesus in Jerusalem. Verse 3, but Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. This is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. He hates the church. We continue, Acts chapter 9, next chapter, verses 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. So you get the picture here? Saul is an angry man against the church. He thinks it's righteous anger. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus. So, you know, Paul just, he did it all legally. He went to the right authorities. He got the letters he needed. And... um, so he, he wants to go to Damascus now, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, because that's what they called the early church, Christians were called the way. Why is that? Because of Jesus, John fourteen six, he said, I am the way and the life and the truth, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So the Christians are called the way. So if any found there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. So here's Paul, hardcore, persecuting the church. Now, something happens to Paul. We just left him in Acts chapter 9. A life encountered with Jesus. That's what happens to Paul Saul of Tarsus is going to meet Jesus Christ personally. He has an encounter with God, and and he describes this in Galatians chapter 1, verse 15. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb, called me by his grace, and that's really important here for Paul, by his grace, God's favor, was pleased to reveal his son in me. Now, you know, we just looked at Paul's life here, how he persecuted the church, how he was a hater of Jesus. And Paul recognizes that if God intervenes in his life, it was by grace, because Paul didn't deserve it. Paul wasn't a good man. Paul was a man who hated Christians. Paul was a man who wanted Christians put to death, and he oversaw Christians being put to death. And he oversaw Christians being put into prison unjustly. And so we come to Acts chapter 9, and this is what happens to Paul when he encounters Jesus. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 and 4. There we go. As he, Saul of Tarsus, neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. So he's going to have kind of a supernatural experience here. This is not a dream, folks. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. Why do you persecute me? We don't know all the words that were said here. We have a capsule summary. Who are you, Lord? Paul's trying to figure this out. Saul is trying to figure this out. He realizes somebody is speaking to him with authority. And he's beginning to recognize it's a God experience. Who are you, Lord? Saul asks. Next slide. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Jesus appeared to Paul. The resurrected Jesus Christ who had already ascended into heaven years earlier comes to meet Paul. 
Who are the apostles? The apostles were people who had seen the resurrected Jesus, the 12 included. Now Saul of Tarsus sees the resurrected Jesus. The resurrected Jesus isn't going around showing himself to everybody, but he he does to Saul on this occasion. I am Jesus who you are persecuting. What is Jesus saying? When you persecute my church, my body, you're persecuting me. And here's what he tells Paul, verse 6. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. So he's given orders. More is said here because more is said later in the book of Acts that Paul tells. Verse 7, then men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they didn't see see anyone. But Saul saw Jesus. And we should have a map, you know, right? The Damascus Road. There was a road from Jerusalem to Damascus, and somewhere in there is where Saul of Tarsus encountered Jesus Christ as he was headed to Damascus to persecute the church there. Now, verses 16 and 17, we see Paul has new goals and priorities. Verses 16 and 17. Back from verse 15, God was pleased to verse 16 to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. To my, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went to Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. And at some point here, Saul of Tarsus is given a new name by Jesus, and he's become Jesus. He is now given new goals and new priorities so that he might preach him, that he might preach Jesus Christ among the Gentiles. Gentiles are all non-Jewish people. So they're Jews and Gentiles. The world is divided into two groups, Jews and Gentiles in the Old Testament. And... um, Pretty much in the New Testament as well. I am a Gentile because I am a non-Jewish man. And Paul had a ministry to non-Jewish people. The Apostle Peter had a ministry to Jewish people. That was God's plan to reach the world. There was more than just those two. But those were key leaders. He said, I did not, verse 17, I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. I went to Arabia, and later I returned to Damascus. I didn't go up to see the big guns. I didn't go up to see Peter and and, uh, John and James and all the others. I didn't go up there. I didn't consult with them. Paul is off, kind of on his own a little bit. And his point is, um, my understanding of the gospel... My understanding of, the Christ, of Christianity is from God and the scriptures. And I didn't consult. This wasn't passed on to me from uh, other Christians. Paul's life would be radically changed. He would go on to proclaim the gospel to the Gentiles. He would become a church planter. 
instead of going from town to town to arrest Christians, he would go from town to town proclaiming Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of sins. This is a radical transformation of one's man, one man's life. So we see that Paul's on a new road, and we come to verses 18 through 24. This is our last section, a life committed to serve Christ. Verses 18 and 19, his time on God's plan. Verse 18, then after three years, this is God's plan, I went up to Jerusalem. Paul was kind of on his own for three years. Came to faith in Christ. Lived separate from going... See, Christianity got its start in Jerusalem. That's where the leaders were. And then the persecution begins to force Christians out of this, this base, this uh, home church. After three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Everybody had to go up to Jerusalem because it was elevated. So whatever direction you were going, you were going to go up uh, to Jerusalem. It was also a high city because that's where the temple was and that's where the church got its start. I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas. Well, who's that? That's the Aramaic name for Peter. He went up to see Peter and stayed with him 15 days. This is a short trip, and his purpose was to get acquainted with Peter. It wasn't necessarily to uh, be discipled or uh, to, to gain a lot of information about the Christian faith. He went up to get acquainted with Peter. I saw none of the other apostles, probably because they were um, out of the city uh, proclaiming the gospel somewhere else, and they were probably uh, spread out because of persecution. He said, I only saw James, the Lord's brother. And so uh, James was a biological brother of Jesus Christ. He didn't believe in Jesus the whole time. Jesus was on earth, and after Jesus died and was resurrected, James's life was radically changed, changed, and James will become a leader in the church called the pillar of the church in Jerusalem, and he will go on and write the book of James. And so uh, Paul is saying, I saw none of the other apostles, only James, but it was brief. Verses 20 through 24, his focus on enhancing God's reputation. His focus on enhancing God's reputation. Look at 20. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie because he is being challenged. His credibility is being challenged and he's wanting to make this clear. Then I went to Syria and Cilicia. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea. Judea is a province right around Jerusalem and uh, that's where you know, Christianity gets its start there. And, and Paul said, they didn't even know me. Uh, I didn't hang out there. I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. That's good news. And they praised God because of me. So whatever it was that Paul was doing and whatever message he was communicating, the churches in Judea who had not seen him and only heard about him were worshiping because of Paul's ministry, because of the goodness of God to work in Paul's life. And they were praising God. It was an encouragement to the other 
churches. And uh, let's just see a map one more time. So Jerusalem, down at the bottom. Paul is converted to Christ on his way to Damascus. Antioch of Syria will become the leading Gentile church and the church planting churches of all churches for Paul's first, second, and third missionary journeys in the years to come. You can see the Galatian churches, Derby, Iconium, Lystra, and Antioch. Paul went to Cilicia and Syria. Antioch and Damascus are in Syria. So, um, that's kind of where Paul has been hanging out. Paul's fo- focus became on enhancing God's reputation. It was about bringing glory to God, about bringing uh, credibility to God and God's message. And he's, Paul's very clear the gospel came directly from Jesus. It wasn't made up by Paul. It was not given to him by other Christians. It was given to him directly by Jesus Christ. And now the churches are praising God because of Paul's life. Good question. Who's praising God because of your life? Who's thankful to God for what God is doing in your life? Who's praising God because they have been impacted by your love, your serving, your sharing of the good news or the gospel or sharing truth with them that helped or your presence or your comfort Who's praising God because of you? We, we, we heard about Rosario's story and we've seen the Apostle Paul's story. My question is, is what's your story? We all have a story. And what's happening in your story? First question is, I got three questions. Can you identify and describe your life before you encountered Jesus Christ? Can you identify and describe your life before you encountered Jesus? Now, I remember my life pretty well uh, before I encountered Jesus. I grew up attending church sporadically. I got confirmed because that's what everybody did in our uh, church and our community. I believed in God intellectually. It didn't seem to make a whole lot of sense, but I had a compartment for this, for my, my religion. I questioned God as I grew up, and um, I didn't find a lot of comfort in that. I became an atheist in college, and with that being an atheist, I came to a conclusion then that man is the measure of all things. I wasn't the first person who thought of that. Man is the measure of all things, so it made sense to me to create my own rules. Um, I was quite self-focused, self-directed, and if you interviewed my wife, I made a very poor husband. Um, Some people, I came to faith at the age of 25. Some people come to faith at a very young age. My wife, Sue, came uh, came to faith in Christ at the age of four. So her life experience before she put her faith in Christ is pretty short. She didn't have a chance to dabble in a whole lot of sin. Um... And didn't have quite the experience that I did with sin. And so on the outside, she didn't really need a radical conversion in the same way that I did. But yet, they're still the same. We're still both sinners and we still needed Christ. And we still faced the consequences of our sin 
unless we placed our faith in Christ. So what's your story? Can you think about how your life has developed? How did it develop before you placed your faith in Christ? Or have you placed your faith in Christ yet? A second question is, can you explain how you came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? I know a lot of people who have come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but they're not sure how to share that with someone else. Can you share how you came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Sue came to faith after church one Sunday morning when she was four years old, and she had some questions, and her mom could tell God was up to something in her life and began to ask her a few questions. And then her mom took the time with, with her to make sure she understood who Jesus was and that he died on the cross for her. And then he helped her. Uh, she helped her place her faith in Jesus Christ. And I had years of people explaining the gospel to me, how Christ died for my sins. And I refused to believe until after I graduated from college. And then God brought me to a special weekend with a few friends And God intervened in my life, and I uh, was humbled to a place where I placed my faith in Jesus Christ. So again, what's your story? How did God work, and who communicated that message that Christ died for you in your life? The third question is, Can you reflect and share how God has changed your life since you began a personal relationship with Jesus? Can you reflect and share how God has changed your life? Sue's life, was after she became a follower of Christ, was on a very good trajectory, even as a Christian teenager, until she encountered me. And I kind of sidetracked her a bit uh, for a time, and I made it really hard for her to follow Christ. I made it as hard as possible as I could for her to follow Christ. Uh, But Sue kept at it, and she was pretty faithful during some really difficult stuff. My story changed very radically within a week. You know, I I was headed uh, down a path, and I I had first person to admit how selfish and self-focused and self-directed I was. I was not interested in Christianity. Uh, Within a week, uh, God began to transform my life, and there were things that I wanted to do that I couldn't do. uh, He helped me stop smoking. Uh, He helped me stop drinking. He gave me some clarity about things. Uh, I threw out uh, my pornography stash. I started going to church pretty much every Sunday, and that's pretty much never changed. And um, I stopped swearing uh, with his help and his clarity in in my mind. I started reading the Bible, and I started praying. It's hard for an atheist to pray if you don't think God exists. And I started sharing my story with others. And so, you know, Sue would tell you that it was pretty radical, you know, pretty real in our home. Um, And so I just come back and ask the question, how has God changed your life? And you don't have to have this big conversion because, you know, in an ideal world, we raise our kids and they learn about Jesus at home as a small child. That's like the ideal. 
And I'm like the exception to that ideal. Um, how has God been working in your life? How has God been changing your life, transforming your life? You know, his goal is for you and I to become more and more like Jesus Christ. And he, that his desire is to be in a process to help us do that. So how would you say your life has been transformed this last year? You know, it's easy to go 10 years and 20 years because it should be transforming if you're a follower of Christ. How, how has your life transformed in the last month? Is, how has God changed your life or impacted your life in the past week? Um, if you're a Christ follower, God wants to continue to transform you um, day by day. He wants you to keep growing. He wants you to keep walking with Him. Um, he, he, he wants you to uh, pursue Him, pursue the relationship with Him. To do that, you know, you and I need other believers. That's, we have community. We need each other to do that. We, we need uh, time with God. We need to grow our relationship. We need to talk to Him. We need to communicate with Him. That's what prayer is all about. We need to hear His heart. That's what reading Scripture is all about. And what are you doing that is helping you grow as a follower of Christ? If you're not yet a follower of Jesus, God's desire for you is to pursue a relationship with Him, to begin a relationship with with him to understand his love for you what he's provided for you and let me just remind you of a couple of things real briefly here's here's the good news and sadly it starts with bad news but you have to understand bad news before good news sounds good the bad news is we all have sinned most of you probably already know that we all have sinned that means we're not perfect. We fall short of God's standards. The next part of the bad news is the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. There are consequences for sin. It's not just physical death, it's spiritual death. It's uh, separation from God eternally. Jesus called it hell. That's bad news. That's the consequences we earn or deserve because of sin. The good news is... Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his own love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He took our place. He was our substitute. I deserve the death, but he stood in for me. It took me a long time to understand that. And the great thing is, Jesus said, God said, his requirement of us is to believe. All we have to do is put our faith in that truth. God has done the work. That's good news. That's grace. I don't deserve it. God has done the work. And he's asked us to trust him, to put our faith in him. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace are you saved through faith. It's about faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works. Because that was a problem of the Judaizers who wanted to add good works. You've got to do something to be saved. Nope, Jesus did it all. That's grace. So uh, as I close today, um, if you'd like to place your faith in Christ, I'm going to 
just say a prayer. And if it makes sense to you, you could pray this back to God on your own and place your faith in Christ. If you're already a follower of Christ, you can just thank God for his grace and his goodness to you and forgiveness of sins. The prayer is going to be like this. Let me just say it two different times. One, so you understand it. And the second time, I'll just ask us to bow our heads. And the prayer is like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I'm just agreeing with what the Bible says. I thank God that Jesus died for me. And I trust him right now to pay the penalty for my sins. And I invite him to come into my life. And I'm asking him to help me to be the person that you want me to be. So it's that simple. If that makes sense to you, I'm going to ask us to, let's just bow our heads right now, everybody in the room. And if that made sense to you, would you uh, just pray silently from your heart back to God? And if you're already a follower of Christ, just thank God for what he's done for you. So here's the prayer. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross for me. I trust him right now to pay the penalty for all my sin. And right now I ask Jesus to come into my life and I want him to help me to be the person, God, that you want me to be. Now, if you pray that prayer with me silently from your heart, with heads bowed right now, if you prayed that with me, would you just slip up your hand? So I can see. If you prayed with me, just slip up your hand. Okay, thank you. Father, thank you uh, for the good news. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you that Jesus died for us. I thank you for those who prayed with me this morning and placed their faith in Jesus. I pray that they might sense your presence even right now. That they might experience forgiveness and have that weight lifted from them. Thank you for the gospel of grace and the gift of salvation for all who believe. In Jesus' name, amen.